The following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Gentlemen, clowns, penguins, villains, and would-be heroes of Gotham, welcome to the Gotham City Podcast. My name is Ian, I'm your host, and yes, that accent is an Irish one. Every Tuesday in the podcast, we'll review the episode of Gotham from the night before, talk about the characters we meet, where they come from, their part in this new imagining of the world of Batman, and any other news relating to the show as the season progresses. Folks, thanks very much for choosing to put the Gotham City Podcast into your ears for another week. The support we've been getting for this podcast has been nothing short of amazing and incredible. And, you know, I want to thank each and every person who's decided to go and listen to the show personally. um, Because it makes it more fun to go and do it when you start seeing that more and more people actually want to go and listen to the podcast. And that's cool. And we've been getting more followers on Twitter as well. Which, again, has been nothing short of amazing as well. So, once again, thank you so much. This week, we're going to dive straight into talking about the fourth episode of Gotham, which is entitled Arkham. So, what is it? It's the basic long and short of this week. So, James Gordon and Harvey Bullock are investigating a hitman who is targeting Gotham City officials. And you know what? It introduces everyone to the world of Arkham and the idea of Arkham City slash Arkham Asylum. Which I think is utterly amazing. And because this ties together a whole heap of different things. This show has been really good at bringing people who maybe haven't been as in love with the world of Batman and the rest of it as people who have been fans of the comics, fans of the movies, fans of the animated series, animated movies. And Arkham is something which, yes, it's in there from some of the comic books like the Alan Moore uh, stuff and so on. But it's been very, very prevalent in terms of the video game world as well. And I like the fact that it's bringing sort of elements of everything all together. Which is really, really important to try and put as many people who are interested in this TV show onto the same page from all these different backgrounds. And that is really important and it's a key because it's something that I think Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't do particularly well. I think Arrow in its first season didn't do particularly well in some instances, but as it grew on towards the end of the first season, it definitely did it. Uh, I think it's something that Smallville never actually did. I think Smallville disenfranchised an awful lot of people who were in love with the Superman universe. And I'm glad that I was never one of those people, which is a very, very good thing indeed. So we open right up into the series, into this episode, with the reappearance of Oswald Cobblepot, and his visit to Barbara Keane's apartment where James Gordon is. And James Gordon, you know what? He just looks like he doesn't know whether to shit or wind his watch at that point. Really just confused and, and bewildered and, and fear. Because he had mock-executed um, Cobblepot to try and make sure that he himself didn't get executed by Moreau, by Falcone. And he had left him with one thing. Do not return to Gotham. And of course... What does he do? Return to Gotham. And then turns up um, 
at Barbara Keane's apartment again, just freaking the guy out altogether. And Gordon just is absolutely livid that the guy has come back. And you know what? Even the, the, the penguin, you know, you kind of get this impression early on with the penguin that he definitely does have some kind of an affinity for James Gordon and some kind of respect for him there or uh, cares about his well-being and the fact that he is an honest cop when it's said and done. He's probably one of the very few honest people left in power in Gotham when it comes to sort of justice and law. And even when Cobblepot is getting and going, look, if you want, you can take my life. Like, he, he, Gordon just can't even bring himself to do it. It's amazing. And, and I, love, uh, I love Cobblepot's assertion to Gordon that he is there to help him and he can be his eyes and ears in the field and his undercover agent. And there was a part of me that was a kind of laughing as he was, as the words were coming out of his mouth. And, you know, because it's quite unusual and it's comedic, but it's not like laugh out loud um, funny. It's just, it's comedic in terms of, because it's not expected from that character and you don't expect that. Uh, sort of side of things and then of course we cut to the next scene which is with Councilman Jenkins who's approached by like a, an alleged constituent who just turns out to be a hitman who who just really likes uh, overly complicated engineered stabbing weapons you know I, I, I don't like that gimmick at all and the second that I'd seen it and he's putting it together I'm just like that's just overly elaborate for no reason whatsoever. Why can't it just be like an ice pick or or something like that? You know, just make it quite kind of simple. It doesn't I don't get the whole thing of the over elaborate nature of the weapon. Um it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And again, it just seems like sticking a gimmick in there for to attach to a quote unquote villain when there doesn't need to be. And you know, the hitman so he basically kills the councilman and his bodyguard, like, pretty brutally. And, you know, the next day, of course, Captain Essen basically turns around and turns goes to Gordon and Bullock and goes, well, here's the shit sandwich of them all. Uh, you've got a councilman's murder to go and solve. Uh, again, you just... The thing just... You just know that's going to happen. Um, I almost, I'm almost wondering, like, is there also no other uh, detectives that can be put on the case besides Gordon and Bullock or is everyone else just too busy out like doing stuff for the mob like moonlighting in broad daylight again just I'm really perplexed by this Um, and like I understand why they're doing it but again it's just a little confusing to me it's just like it doesn't seem like we're taking like a window into the, the Gotham City PD and too often it seems like we're focusing on directly on these two people and I prefer to almost be like a like having that that window into things that there is other crimes that they're either solving fobbing off or or stuff that they're just basically trying to clean up and hide for the mob depending on which side of the coin the police officers are flipping on you know whether it's Moroni whether it's Falcone whether it's Mooney um, whether it's whoever you know I, I, again I'll, I'll digress from that but we sort of then cut through the whole thing of like Fish Mooney holding an audition. You know, it becomes like the fish factor. Um, uh, you know, for, for a new lounge singer. And of course, you know, this being Fish Mooney, everything is is not what it seems. And it's never going to be straightforward. And 
you know, one the singer who they have there, uh, you know, as soon as she's finished doing her her piece, she's asked by Mooney, you know, to try and seduce her, and you know, uh, Mooney's reaction is, "Nope, you utterly failed with this. She's not looking for a singer. She's looking for a weapon." Um, and again, once that 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 sort of thing is is out there, the only thing you can draw the thing of is that she's going to basically send like a, f- a female. Uh, assassin. She's going to basically build her own female assassin to go and, and you know that it's going into Falcone, uh, or it's leading to someone from Falcone's crew who's important, who's going to get off as part of this. Uh, again, just seems kind of overly elaborate, and you know, I'd prefer in one respect if this was almost played straight, as opposed to very, very, very sort of uh, a cross between. Uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman universe and um, the Bill Dozier thing and again when I bring the Bill Dozier thing up it's never out of disrespect you know the Bill Dozier TV series you know it was what it was but there are aspects of that that are particularly camp and I think that they're particularly overplayed because of the type of TV series that it was and for the time that it was you know Dutch Tilt and all the rest of that good stuff um and I think Mooney sometimes has that the, the way that character's written and 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 the, some of the performances that Pinkett uh, gives for that. Uh, you know, I am just I kind of get that bit of that bit of Bill Dozier Dutch tilt overplaying things uh, kind of feel to it. And again, I don't think that character needs to be overplayed. I just think that character needs to be uh, almost very cold and calculated. And you know, given that the TV show runs against the black, uh, runs pretty well against the blacklist numbers-wise, um, I would prefer if Mooney showed flashes of you know some of that mean streak uh, without the campness that like you get from Agent Keen from the blacklist. I think that would be kind of cool. I think I'd, I'd appreciate that a lot more. I think it would ground that character in such a way that. You know, I'd feel like it was something that wouldn't be out of place in um, in Chris Nolan's universe. And you know what? It's no bad thing to ground Gotham City PD in a uh, Nolan-verse type scenario. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, yes, this is a world where a man is basically going to dress up in uh, in a costume with no superpowers to fight crime... And to put his body through a ridiculous amount of trauma, all in the name of the pursuit of justice, because he feels that there isn't—it's the only thing that he can do. His money can't fix things, and that this is the only way that he can—he sees that he can fix the world that's got that's gone wrong around him, or the uh, the city that's gone wrong and is dying around him. And I would prefer that to be just played that little bit straighter, that little bit more closer to the reality side of things. Uh, and again, I don't think it's any bad thing to do so. I don't think it's... Uh, I think if anything, it, it allows people to connect to it a lot more and it'll feel grittier. Uh, and it'll still still be able to try and keep it within that watershed thing as well. Um, but anyway. So, you know what? When you come to... Uh, to the, the the scene and moves on afterwards where Bullock is out basically questioning the common mugger um, back at the at the 
at the GCPD uh, headquarters and you know Gordon is standing there and he just knows that like the guy that they've picked up you know he isn't the killer that they're looking for and you know he basically just starts going through leaves the 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 uh, interrogation as it is because it's going nowhere it goes back to his desk uh, finds like there's an evidence box and it's filled with like Jenkins's belongings and he files piles of papers he finds plans for Arkham um and again, there's your real first clue, you know, Arkham. And then you've got all the, basically the Batman nerds who are going, Oh my God, they're going to talk about Arkham! This is awesome! Uh, and, you know, they're just having that little sort of, uh, that little moment at that point. And anyone else who's who's not familiar with the Batman universe is going, Arkham, eh? Uh, and again, that's sort of giving them their that pause to go, Okay, this is going to be important. Cuts off to the uh, Mayor Aubrey James' press conference, you know, and, you know, talks about the Waynes and the planned use of the land from the Arkham District to build low-income affordable housing and a new state-of-the-art mental health uh, facility, which, of course, be Arkham Asylum, uh, replacing the old Arkham Asylum, that is. And, you know, creating, like, an Arkham City. Um, but then he's also mentioned, you know, what there's another plan which is there, which is to turn the area reserved for the new asylum into waste disposal. Um, and, you know, I like this thing of... Keeping the story about the philanthropy and the altruism of the Waynes in it. And I think it's important because, you know, wherever you see this, that there's a giant corporation. And you always need to remember that Wayne Enterprises is this huge behemoth of an organization that was left behind uh, in the stead of uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And again, if you've watched the movies, it's it's played to it as well. Um and you just know that there is there's a great way to show that there is a giant organization which has people working in it who are doing back uh, backroom deals and off the books deals and everything else that run counter to either uh, national law, international law, sanctions, and everything else. Um, and again, it, it also gives you scope for further stories, uh, especially about the progression of what's going to go on with uh, Wayne Enterprises. With Bruce, uh, where Bruce's basically funds are going to come out of. And these things all help lens towards stories down the line. So you don't need to sort of drag on them too much, which is pretty cool. But just oh, keep them there and keep them floating in the mix. It's never, ever a bad thing. But you know what? Then it comes up there's a discussion between uh, Alfred and Jim Gordon that, uh, you know what? Um, that the plans that the Waynes had for Arkham, uh, for the redevelopment for low-income housing, was taken over by Falcone uh, in in the wake of their death, and that you know that they basically Jenkins was backing Falcone's plan, and he was the um, the only one who's there strong enough to oppose Falcone's plan is Moroni, of course. And again, I just I kind of just found this discussion to be uh, a little bit of a weird one. This is a guy who, yes, I understand that he was. One of the most trusted people in the Wayne's lives. Yes, I understand that uh, Thomas and Martha felt that he was the one person that they could trust with their most precious thing in the world, their son, in the event of their death. But he knows a little bit too much information. and I, I don't like that. Um, and the reason being is it's too convenient. And I, I don't like devices that are put into stories that instantly smack of being too convenient. And the reason being is because, it's, number one, I find it insulting to the audience um, that they can't draw one on 
and draw a logical conclusion between things. And number two, when you put a, a character in a position that you, technically speaking, will have you going, you shouldn't know that. What the? Why the hell would you know that? When you do that, you instantly devalue anything that that character has as a contribution at that point, um, because you've made them an accessory to something that logically it's questionable as to whether they would be an accessory or a part of it. And again, I just think it's really, really lazy. And using a character for the sake of using a character, um, why that couldn't have been intel that came from a another character or a nondescript, a nameless third-party uh, character in that, um, I don't know. Uh, I just think it was, again, trying to use a character for the sake of using a character. Um, but anyway... Uh, we're then told that, um, you know, that Arkham is something which gets the attention of Bruce, um, who tells Gordon that, you know, this was my mother's dream and the rest of it. And again, I just, I, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes at the use of the Bruce Wayne character so far in this, in the wake of everything. And this has absolutely nothing to do with David Masseuse, who's playing the role of Bruce Wayne. I think the kid's doing an amazing job. But I just think the way that they are portraying a young child's reaction to something horrific uh, with the full knowledge of where the end goal of the the show has got to be, which is Bruce eventually donning a cowl, they're doing far too many things too soon and far too conveniently. Um, And... I don't, I, again, this is the thing of where it's convenience to try and, you know, basically do a wink wink, nudge nudge to the audience. It, it's just, it's really, really lazy writing, and I just really don't understand it at all. Um, so then we sort of cut through to, you know, the gates of Arkham, where basically the hitman has got his latest victim and he's got him shackled inside an oil drum, and he kills him by setting him on fire. And you know what, I have to say this. For when you consider what Gotham is, number one, in terms of its story, the the TV show and its premise is a thing. Number two, you consider this is done by Fox. I thought that was a pretty brutal way to show someone being killed. And okay, you didn't get to see the guy actually starting to go on fire. You see him inside the inside the drum, and then they cut away to a long shot of the guy basically starting the fire in the oil drum and the screams and everything else. You know what? I thought that was pretty ballsy for like a pre-Watershed show, number one. Number two, a show that's on Fox. And there's times they do things with this show where they do... they Things like this get come up and they're shot and they're put in. And I'm just like, yes, this is cool. I can't believe you're doing this. This is awesome. Because you're grounding it in something which is pretty gritty. And, and again, you like this because you're trying to understand that Gotham is in an absolutely dire, dire state of affairs. And it, this is what happens. And so again, I really, really like that. Uh, and again, you sort of have the whole thing that, um, you know, the next day, Gordon is uh, and Bullock and Essen are on the scene because another councilman, of course, has gotten killed. You know, God forbid people get killed in Gotham who aren't councilmen. Like, uh, Otherwise, you're just stacking up bodies all over the place, and the county morgue, or the city morgue, is getting pretty busy at this point. Uh, and you know, then you've got the sort of Gordon again, sort of laying out the, the lay of the land that you know there's, there's a war between Falcone and Moroni over Arkham District, 
Um, and Jenkins and Zeller were on different sides of the war, but you know they're basically killed by the same guy. And then you've got Edward Nigma coming up. And again, my same argument comes back. I just want this character played straight. I don't need him played weird. Stop pointing stuff and going that the guy's an oddball. Like, it's annoying. Like, save that for a later time. Give the guy a nervous breakdown. Um, you don't have to keep pointing a big giant finger from the sky going, It could be you! This is the Riddler. I, we don't like it. It's it's um, again lazy, lazy writing. There's, you know, I love so many things about this show, but when I see, and stuff like this, uh, and the writing for some of these characters happens, it's, it's just so freaking lazy. Uh, and you know, then we were going on to things like visiting Gotham State Penitentiary, and then we find out the hitman's name is Gladwell, um, and then Gordon and Bullock turn up to where the guy works, spook him a little bit. Uh, and then they basically leave the place and they don't have anything other than a piece of paper with the letters CLM scrawled on them. And, you know, it's a bit like... You talk about a far-reaching clue. CLM on a piece of paper. Um, and then we get into the whole thing about, like, uh, Bruce Wayne and his nightmares and getting Alfred to get a more files relating to Arkham. And again, coming into this thing, which is... And this is not just annoying me. I've actually been following an awful lot of people who've been reviewing the shows and people who've been fans of the show... And reading things on the social media and everything else. And the writers really should pay attention to this. Um, they really, really should. Is that they don't like the idea of Bruce Wayne playing detective at this point. People don't like it. They just really, really don't. Um, and Bruce revealed, like shows that he's investing a connection between Councilman's murders and that of his parents. It's it's just it's insane. I'm going to move on from that. Um and you know what, then we get into the thing which I, we knew was coming. We absolutely knew this was coming and it's great. Uh, you know, Barbara Gore, Keane, soon to be Barbara Gordon, confronting uh, Jim about like Oswald Cobblepot. And, and you know, she hasn't really, didn't twig that the person who visited, of course, was Cobblepot uh, to her apartment. And then, you know, Gordon puts two and two together. Well, of course, if he's a detective and he can't put two and two together, that you know that Montoya and Barr were basically had a relationship in the past. Um, you know, again, you kind of saw it coming, and I kind of wish that was played out a little bit stronger. Um, but again, it's, a, it's one of those ones where it's a bit of a touchy thing, and you have to be careful how you do it and how you write it. Um, because basically, let's put it this way, when it comes to the writing of these things, very often it's done from a male point of view, and it's um, it's either written incredibly weakly, uh, or it is uh, written as in a form like which is designed purely for titillation, um, uh, or or over exaggeration, or you know, and again. Uh, the diversity in the cast and the stories that are in there, yes, understood. You know, that's some, some will say, oh, well, the diversity of having a character in there who's a lesbian is just purely for diversity. And you can take the cynical view of it if you want. Um, but you can also take it that, you know what, let's just, let's just base things in the real world. And in the real world, there are uh, gay men and lesbian women who engage in relationships with and quite complicated relationships with members of the same sex and or ones who start off with relationships with the opposite sex you know ground the thing in reality there are gay people in the world get over it. um 
something which an awful lot of TV shows are very, very afraid to get into. Um, because basically, uh, you've got fucking zealots in the world who basically just mean that we can never have nice things and things that are done well and written properly because these assholes just interject their polit- their politics into things um, needlessly. Uh, but anyway, so I like the fact that this has come to a head and it's come to a head soon in this. One of the biggest problems I had with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was And again, I'm going to use Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as an example because I think it was a perfect TV series that showed you how not to start a TV series that's built out of a superhero slash comic book universe uh, and how not to do it in today's world. When people are a lot more savvy and when you've got movies like Guardians of the Galaxy that does like a billion dollars worldwide, uh, like Avengers does a billion, like like loads of these movies are billion dollar revenue movies. So they're obviously doing something very, very right. And it's not just comic book lovers who are actually coughing up the money for these things. Uh, So, again, grounding things in the real world, getting a story or an angle that you've kind of filled in relation to characters and how to start sending their relationships or their progression, personal progressions on the roller coaster. Um... Letting that dip, letting the dips come early and letting them come thick and fast in some cases to allow them to progress through the various stages that they have to. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was pretty poor at that. This, I'm glad to see, just got the heck on with us. We're into like episode four and we're like, okay, we've revealed something that there is a secret out there. Bam, we're going to go and bust it open. We're going to use it as part of a progression. Cool, get on with it, done. Excellent, good stuff. Um, And you know, when you're talking about sort of the uh, the characters in this, uh, I like the character of Moroni in this. Again, just has that real kind of Tony Soprano's uh, gangster type uh, feel to it in one respect. And it's not necessarily like on the Tony's crew side of things. It's some of like the older guys type crews type thing, you know. And I really do dig that. And again, I think if you're going to do something involving like a mafia type crime families you could do a whole lot worse than aping some of the stuff out of the sopranos uh, again an amazing tv series there's nothing wrong with uh with sort of borrowing a little bit from that and especially when it comes to the writing of some of these crime boss uh, characters and everything else but anyway so we get to the point where you know there's a robbery that takes place on moroni's restaurant and you know the uh, you've got Oswald who's in there basically as like a, a kitchen porter who, to after the the robbery of the uh, of the restaurant, gets promoted to being the manager of the restaurant uh, because basically the previous manager was killed during the robbery. I, I even when it was actually uh, when the robbery happened on the restaurant. Uh, no, I won't talk about it yet. I'll talk. I'll talk about it later on because otherwise I'm, I'm jumping way ahead of myself here, but. Uh, again, the, the robbery is really suspicious at that point, and you're kind of wondering, like, okay, you're in Gotham, everyone knows who the goddamn crime families are, and they know who the leaders of them are. We know that there's a peace right now that is existing between, like, Moroni, Falcone, and, and Mooney, and possibly others, and that it is extremely fragile. No one is willing to... To, to take that leap first and you know knocking over someone's restaurant is isn't just a leap it's the same thing as launching a rocket to the moon um it's a, it's a step too far but you kind of get it you're looking at it and you're going there's something really funny about this 
But bear that in mind. We'll come back to that a little bit later on in the show as we're talking about it. But you know what? Gordon then figures out, you know, uh, you know, after the investigation and everything else, and after Bullock has gone to Mooney's club, and um, you know, Oswald has figured out that the CLM refers to the surnames of the officers who are protecting Mayor James, and Mayor James is the next target. So Gordon does what any good detective does. He takes his ass over to Mayor James' place, tries to go and save him, and you know, they're, 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 they're met by the attacker with his overly elaborate stabby weapon. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not letting that one go. I really just can't. And I really do like the fight that happens between the uh, the assassin Gladwell and Gordon. You know, I I like the the fisticuffs version of that. Uh, I like the fact that it seems a little bit dirty. It feel it feels rough and it feels gritty and it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel choreographed. It really doesn't. And it actually, you know, when you're put under pressure, when you see Gordon just kind of throwing uh, furniture in the guy's way and the rest of it. Um, Again, feels gritty, feels real. It doesn't feel like it's a scripted fight. Again, I like stuff like that. It keeps me in the moment. It keeps me going. And then you've got the whole thing of where basically Bullocker returns up. And I, I, I found myself cheering Bullock, going, Yay, Bullock is here. It means Gord, Jim's not going not gonna to get off. Of course he wasn't going to get off. It's only episode four, for God's sake. And Jim Gordon is one of the central characters in this. And... Again, if you know the Batman universe, you know Jim Gordon is not going to die at this point. Jim Gordon is around when Batman is. Um, but I found myself weirdly... I, I'm actually weirdly, and I don't understand this, I should hate everything about Harvey Bullock. I should hate the fact that he's a cop who basically doesn't care anymore. That he's so numb to the criminality that goes on in Gotham and the crooked nature of law enforcement and justice uh, uh, dealing in Gotham that uh, you know you should hate the guy just for being so apathetic to things and when you apathy means that he's just basically part of the problem um, but I find myself weirdly cheering him and, and liking that character an awful lot more um, and, and then I, I was during the week I was having a think about this uh, I think the reason I'm beginning to like that character is it kind of has shades of the Harvey Bullock character from the Batman animated series from the 90s uh, that was done by Warner Brothers. Um, they, people like Paul Dini and, and everything else, everyone else working on it. And he has very, very, very similar shades of that Harvey Bullock uh, a real roughness and and just a real you know I don't care you're cutting into my time stop messing with my lunch times um, and just really really has that that kind of way about it and I really really dig that um, so anyway basically the end of that is that Gordon and Bullock kill another bad guy um, and like a barrage of gunfire that's the only it really is a really good apt description for it, a barrage of gunfire and then we cut to sort of basically Barbara turning up to the uh, GCPD uh, police department and confronting Jim about, you know, uh, the significance of Cobblepot. And uh, Gordon just is like, you know, I can't tell you anything. And again, he told her one thing and she made a phone call and then things kind of got a bit messy. And again, the whole thing of the ultimatum comes up. Basically, you need to be truthful and tell me everything or basically this is over. Um, Dun-dun-dun! Dramatics. Uh, 
And, you know, then the, the, the episode playing out to things like Marone, uh, Mooney, basically, she has her two potential weapons, quote-unquote, and basically lets her like, engage in a girl fight. One of them wins, um, demonstrably stronger and meaner and um, more capable than the other. And then we discover the best part of this at all, you know, that... They <laughs> and again, this is what I was trying to get to, and I didn't want to spoil it, was... We cut to an apartment scene where there's guys in there basically counting out money and everything else post-robbery of the restaurant. And it turns out that they were actually hired by Oswald Cobblepot. And again, I kind of like this, that uh, Cobblepot is this guy who, on one hand, likes to uh, play his weakness. But, you know, his real strength is that you just don't see this guy coming. He's so unassuming. He doesn't look like the bad guy. He just looks like a fucking oddball. Um, but, he again, I love... Love how Robin Taylor Lord plays this character. Um, and I love the writing for this character as well. Um, you can, Here's the thing. And there's some of the number of complaints that I have about the writing of some of the characters in this uh, TV show. I think that you can kind of get the impression about who the writer's favourites are character-wise. Um, and let me just run through this quickly before I just close out the, the talk about the ending of the episode and, and so on. Is... I definitely think the writers of the show like writing the character of Harvey Bullock. I think he's there's an awful lot there that you can play with sort of a very dry humour and uh, his crookedness, and I think they like writing him. The Jim Gordon character, I think they have yet to hit their stride with. The Bruce Wayne character, they need to seriously think about how they're writing that. They're writing it too much knowing what the end result is. They need to start writing it as if they don't know what the end result is. They don't, and they need to write it ignoring the fact that the guy, the kid will grow up and go on to become Batman. It is a long way off before that kid decides he's becoming Batman, uh, or should be thinking about that uh, point. Uh, so again, I, I, again, I think they're, that's like the thing of where we're writing it because we know where it goes. No, you need to write it like you don't know where it goes. The character of Alfred, I think they are trying really hard with that. I think they like the character, but I think they don't know what the fuck to do with that character. In terms of what does a guy do who has just basically uh, inherited the charge of raising of a young man who has an awful lot of money in a city that's messed up and where both of his lost both of his parents um, I think they don't understand that I think the character of Fish Mooney they pl they're writing it as if too much like amateur dramatics uh, which is a shame uh, I think that they definitely definitely have a major hard on for writing the character of Cobblepot uh, slash the Penguin I think they utterly are in love with that character and they love the the possibilities of what that character is. Um, and again, I think they're writing that in a lot of ways. In the same way I think uh, the Heath Ledger Joker was written as well. Is that, yeah, I mean, we understand what went before. But you know what? We have a slightly different take on this. And we think it's a little bit cooler and a little bit more fun. And a little bit more edgy. Which is no bad thing. So I think they definitely like that character. I think that the some of the other characters, uh, they are bit part players. Um, 
And that's no bad thing because I think they actually understand that those characters are bit part players and they're not trying to squeeze them in every which way. The Nigma character, again, they are, too, I think the writers for that are too in love with the idea of the Riddler, uh, who is this, this, this utterly uh, uh, obscenely um, very over the top character from the Batman universe in terms of villains. Like, he's ridiculously over the top. Um, whatever about the Joker, the Jokers they just basically boil it down to psychosis. And I know that some people who are very familiar with the universe and who have a great affinity for that character will say, well, it's really disingenuous. And it's basically like uh, boiling that character down to one facet of them. I'm not being disingenuous when I do that. I just think that the Riddler is something which is a lot more complex and I think it's uh, a lot more dangerous than the Joker in some respects because he's not overtly psychotic. Um, he's just a freaking lunatic with criminal tendencies. And as it comes in, it's not necessarily a psychosis. Um, but yeah, so these characters, I think there's definitely writers' favourites that are in there. It's very obvious when you're watching it, like, what the writers' favourites are. And again, I think this is even more obvious if you're a fan of the Batman universe and you understand these characters' histories, you understand some of the stories these characters have been involved in. If you've had a love affair with the animated series, you definitely have got a series of, of views on it. I think if you've been a fan of the comic books or any of the movies whether it's um, Tim Burton ones, Joel Schumacher ones Chris Nolan ones even the direct to DVD animated ones uh, which are exceptional and I would say to anyone look if you're not a fan of cartoons fine no problems if you're only getting into the Batman universe you could do a lot worse than getting some of the direct to DVD animated movies ignore the fact that they're animated some of the writing and some of the stories that are in there are actually incredibly grown up especially some of the newer stuff um, uh, that has been done like Son of Batman again pretty gritty and then you got things like Under the Red Hood um, you've got things like Justice League War as well which Justice League War is insane and the Frank and the the animated version of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns part 1 and part 2 animated Jesus they are definitely not for kids um very very gritty very done and, and again kept very very true to Frank Miller's graphic novel uh you should definitely go and check them out and I think it's worth checking out and persevering through the fact that they actually are animated movies so sort of closing out the episode you know the whole thing is that you it closes out with sort of mayor james holding his press conference revealing that you know a best of both worlds plan arkham district will have both a low-cost housing and a waste disposal facility and the existing arkham asylum will be retrofitted and reopened um and you know we're again you can get to see like that gordon is disappointed by the news moroni is of course celebrating and deliriously happy uh and mooney is is happy that Falcone has basically taken a body shot. Any sort of loss to Falcone in terms of what was going to happen with this would be seen as the balance of power being cracked open and there to be taken. And the whole thing doing then, And then, of course, Bruce being sad that everything his parents worked for is now gone and criminals are in control of it. And yet another part of his parents' legacy is being eroded and taken away. And... Uh, and, you know, Gordon doing the arm-on-the-shoulder thing, going, you know, that... Gotham is worthy is worthy to be saved, um, 
and he closes out with like Oswald basically the robbers that he had basically hired that he's basically poisoned giving them poison cannolis I absolutely love the idea of poison cannolis and again when I come back to the whole thing about you know stealing from the Sopranos a little bit I would love to have seen an episode of the Sopranos where someone got a poison cannoli that actually would have been pretty cool when I think about the amount of times the cannolis featured as uh, as as in a scene in in a Sopranos episode over the entire run of that entire series, uh, and of course Oswald then leaving with the great big giant bag of cash, amazing. Again, I think the episodes are are getting better. Um, there's still an awful long way to go with the writing. Again, writers' favorites being in there, uh, writers writing. Uh, blindly knowing what the end result is and instead of allowing the end result to get there eventually uh, and not writing characters again like writing to Bruce Wayne as a detective like oh, get over it stop it um, and you know I, the uh, there is a couple of in, you know it started off as a strong episode and it really could have picked itself up to pick the story up. and But again, really poor choices with the direction of the story and some of the characterizations and and some of the predictability in there. Uh, just, it, it kind of muted it and didn't allow it to hit the heights that it did. I don't like things like the, uh, you know, the idea of the hitman in there who's, who's playing and working for both sides. I'm cool with that. Absolutely cool with that. I don't have a problem with it. I didn't like the overly elaborate methods that they put in there for his ways of killing someone. Uh, you know, the spike and that he f- fabricated himself. Why well, it just couldn't have been an ice pick? You know, keep it simple. It didn't need that level of detail to be in there. Um, and again, setting up a very... The guy is is is, is poised as a very dangerous hitman. And in one of the earlier episodes of this series, I've actually on the podcast, I've said that your villains should at all times almost be like a a bre- like a nose hair more uh, stronger than your heroes that your heroes actually just have to dig down deep to overcome a villain and a villain should like 99% of the time you should feel like the villain is going to get the best of the hero and the hero really has to work their ass off to succeed for that to actually make sense to actually make sense because that's the idea of having like a nemesis in a lot of cases and I was expecting more from that character. Um, and again, I think they kind of backed out too early with it. They gave it a gimmick that it really didn't need. And they really could have like just made that character an awful lot smarter and a lot more dangerous. Um, yes, I'm glad that they tied that, that story angle up uh, about the secrets. Um, of the relationship between Montoya and Barbara Keane. Um, but they kind of, uh, they kind of wet fished that one. And they just, they, they just, they had it there. They could have gotten so much more mileage out of it, but they just kind of like had it and dropped it. Um, on one hand, I'm like, yes, it's good to get these things and get them out there, but you can use it to help ratchet up tension. And, Sometimes you actually need to give a hero uh, a real utter roasting of a of a hard time too, because it makes their triumph that little bit more sweeter. Uh, you know, 
that really was about the entire thing was about like a breakdown in trust between two people there's a breakdown in trust between Barbara and James in that she can't tell him about Montoya there's a breakdown in trust between Jim and Barbara in that he can't tell her uh, what he's had to do to try and stay alive because he's afraid that she will interject in thinking that she's doing the right thing or doing something which is helpful which only will jeopardize him and her uh, so there's also a bit of selfishness in there as well. Uh, again, I think that could have been played out a bit better. Um, I think sometimes when they put a twist into the stories, we're seeing it like long before it happens. Uh, the the uh, there are some people I know who said that you know the Oswald robbery setup could be seen a mile away. Yes, I will kind of agree with that, but. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm absolutely okay with it because I think we need to... I think that one, we need to see that one coming. And the reason being is it's good when sometimes when you can see something coming that the other characters have chosen blindly to dismiss and not see coming. Fish Mooney didn't see the potential that was in uh, the character of Oswald Cobblepot. She didn't understand like what she had... Um, and again, I, I think it's it's good sometimes to be able to see that difference. Um, what else do I want to uh, close out? I think, you know, the Bullock character is fun, it's entertaining, but I think they need to make him a little bit smarter. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong in making him... Yeah, I understand he's an apathetic cop at this point but I think there is nothing wrong with allowing him to be apathetic and smart I think the uh, the idea that apathy equals stupidity um, I think it's too too easy to draw that line between the two of them and it's not giving the audience uh, cr- credit where it's due I think some of the things like um, The idea of, again, cramming characters in, like Alfred being in there and offering information to to Jim Gordon about uh, who was backing who. Again, didn't need to have Car involved in that. Still don't like the idea of Bruce Wayne uh, playing detective at this point. It just bugs me and irks me. Um, but the one thing I still continue to like about this show more than anything else is... I do actually like how it's shot and how it looks. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, again, the more you see some of the outside shots that are done where there's visual effects put in there and they don't look they, they, they don't look out of place, it looks really good. I think, you know, the stories that we have right now, knowing that Gotham is in the shitter, it needs to get a bit edgier. It needs to get a bit dirtier. It needs to get nastier. I think it needs to be grittier as a result. I don't think it needs to go to a hybrid bridge between uh, taking hints of the Bill Dozier series and the Dutch tilt, wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of things. But I, I don't. I think there's nothing wrong with making it like the Nolan verse, making it like NYPD Blue in one respect. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I really don't. Uh, and I think you can... Some of the flashes in the episode proves that you can go gritty without making it post-Watershed. 
Um, and people will buy into that. When The entire point is, you need to see how far Gotham has got to fall. Um, to, to the breaking point of the city that causes some guy to want to don a cape and cowl. I don't think it feels threatening enough. I don't think it feels uh, like there's enough jeopardy for the city uh, quite yet to know that it needs to recover. And I'm hoping that the future episodes will actually reflect this and it'll be really, really important. Um, But you know what, sort of bat fans, Gothamites, that is the end of this week's show. I want to thank you once again for lending me your ears for this episode of the Gotham City Podcast. We'll be back next week with another light to shine into the darkness of Gotham. And you can check out the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, please do so, at Gotham City Pod. And, of course, we like using the hashtag Hope4Gotham. You can also check out the site for news on the TV series, GothamCityPodcast.com. And you can also check out the Reddit thread, which has all the latest of news ideas uh, you know theories and everything and sort of other little nuggets of information which is at uh, reddit.com slash or forward slash Gotham check it out so until next week let there be hope for Gotham where there once was the sound of laughter now resides a cold Where there once sang a thousand voices Lies a graveyard of broken hearts Dreams and prayers Take a good look This is who we are What we